You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here. So just in case you're not aware, uh, I have three kids. Uh, my daughter Mia is 15. My son Xander is 13, who, by the way, was playing guitar right here just a moment ago. Yeah. So we couldn't be prouder. And uh, my daughter Livy is 10, at least for the next couple of weeks. And uh, so uh, several years ago, I mean, Xander was probably about five when we started having conversations about what he wanted to do with his life as a career. And he had narrowed it down, even at five, six years old, he had narrowed it down that he either wanted to be a pastor or a professional YouTuber. And, uh, and then prob- probably it was about three years ago, he narrowed it down even more. He says, I think I want to be a pastor, but I want to be the pastor at Calvary whenever it is that you retire, should that ever happen, which by the way, that's not my plan. <laughs> my plan is to preach until I'm dead. Preferably, I'd like to go while preaching, which, by the way, for you guys would be horrible. For me, it would be fantastic because I would just be like, you know, and then just kind of croak out right here. And then I see Jesus like, Lord, I was just talking about you. So like that, that could work well. And uh, but the idea of uh, Xander's idea of being the pastor at Calvary is something he's given a decent bit of thought to because he's already started hiring people that he wants to work with. And uh, so this is, once again, about three years ago, he sat down with his best friend, Danny, who, you know, Pastor Alex, that's Pastor Alex's son. And uh, he said, uh, so Xander says to Danny, he says, listen, I'm going to be the pastor at Calvary when my dad retires. So why don't you be an assistant pastor here and we'll be able to work together. And uh, well, based on the details, the rest of the conversation I got from Danny's mom, who told me the rest of the story, that Danny, I guess, accepted the job offer and, uh, and told his mom, like, hey, great news. I know what I'm going to do as a career. Uh, I'm going to be an associate pastor at Calvary. And she's like, well, Danny, if that's what God's called you to, then you can go to Bible college and get a theology degree and get ready. And he's like, mom, that's a waste of time. Xander already hired me. I already have the job. And so, like... <laughs> Now, I'm telling you, people that say parenting is easy, I can assure you, have never done it, all right? Now, uh, but I'll tell you, you know, from, from like five years old, and I've taken Xander with me everywhere. Whenever I go do something, if I go and, uh, and, and speak somewhere else, I usually take Xander. If I go do a wedding or a funeral, hospital visit, um, I'll take Xander with me. And he, even like around five years old, I remember go, doing a wedding, and um, I put my suit on, have my Bible. He put his little suit on had a Bible, and he's like, Dad, you're the senior pastor, I'm the junior pastor. And so that's kind of how we've rolled like that. But here's the thing is that we all, we all do something like this, because every single one of us is trying to find our place in the world and how to do what God has called us to and step into our purpose. Now, this whole idea of purpose is really huge because we are walking into kind of the second half of a conversation that Jesus has already started. So if you were with us last time we were together, then great, uh, this will be a continuation. Those of you that weren't, you'll get the previously on church uh, for just a moment, where Jesus meets the rich young ruler, at least that's what we call him. And this young man asks Jesus what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And through a series of 
conversation, uh, Jesus says, well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And this young man can't do that. And as we mentioned, if you were with us, that this is a guy who was possessed by his possessions. He just couldn't let it go. And then Jesus says that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom uh, than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, and once again, the reason is because their possessions have such a tight grip on them. The disciples are really stunned by that. Because they believed, like most people in the first century believed, that the fact that you were wealthy was a sign that you were loved and blessed by God. And so Jesus saying it's going to be tougher for wealthy people than it is for the average person, they're, they're taken back by it. And they're like, hold on, if rich people aren't getting in, there's no hope for the rest of us. And so then Jesus says this famous passage that usually gets taken out of context. But in this context, Jesus says, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then the disciples respond and they say, but you know, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus acknowledges that they had and that there's an eternal reward for them. But then he says something at the very end of the chapter that we looked at for just a second last time we were together, but really sets up everything that happens in chapter 20. He says this one simple verse at the very end, you'll see it on the screen at the end of chapter 19. He says, but many who are first will be last in the last First, now Jesus is going to explain this principle by giving us a parable that really expounds on it and gives us a picture of what that really means. And, and this is really important because if, if you're here today and you're struggling with purpose, man, like what does God want me to do? What am I supposed to do? I'm telling you God has a word for you today and I'm glad that you're here. If you're at, your, you're at work and you're struggling at work, like what in the world am I doing here? Is this going anywhere? God has a word for you today, or maybe you're in a place where you've kind of, you've climbed some of that ladder of success, and you keep thinking with every rung that it's, you're going to find fulfillment in the next rung, and every time you've gotten there, it hasn't. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, God has something for you today, and this is going to be, it's going to be really huge. So let's start in chapter 20 of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what we read. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that we're going to talk about in our time together when we talk about living your life on purpose. The first is this, and that is that you need to understand God's generosity. And that is God's generosity towards us when it comes to our gifts and, and talents. And, and the illustration that Jesus begins to tell is all to illustrate this idea that the last will be first and the first will be last. And the point that Jesus is making is that in God's economy, things are different than they are, humanly speaking. Because we'd all agree that, you know, this, these people being hired at different times and the way that they get rewarded, once you see that, you're going to say, wow, that's very different. And now let me explain, give you a little bit of the background so you really understand the story. The first group gets hired at the first hour. Now, you got to understand the way things worked in the Jewish culture is um, the, 
Sunrise at 6 a.m. is the first hour, and it goes all the way to the 12th hour, which is 6 p.m. So that's kind of how the day starts. The day starts when the sun comes up. And so that's considered the first hour. And so what happens is, is that uh, these guys, the guys that are hired at the beginning of the day, they negotiate with the landowner. They negotiate with him, and they all decide, this is what you're going to pay us. You're going to pay us a denarius a day. In fact, we have a picture of a denarius. And uh, this is one that has Caesar Augustus on it. And um, this one was in circulation around the time that Jesus was born. And so um, this was typically what was paid for a day's worth of work is a denarius. It was considered a day's wage. So this is a very fair pay. Everybody's in agreement as to what I get. They're, the Lando's in agreement as to what he gives. It's all good. Now, what happens is, as after they negotiate their price, is that the landowner goes out at the third hour, which is 9 a.m., finds more people and says, hey, go into the field and I'm going to do what's right. He, finds, he goes out at noon. He goes out at 3 p.m., finds more people. And then he goes out at the 11th hour at 5 p.m. He says, go into the field and whatever is right, I'm going to give you. There's no negotiation. He just says, go in there and just trust me, I'm going to do right by you. And now everybody's out there working. And now we get to the end of the day. And this is really the point of the parable. Look what happens in verse 8. It says, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to its steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the first to the last. And when they came uh, who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and likewise received a denarius each. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men only worked one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? And so the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. If you pause there and give me your attention, I'll tell you this, this whole setup of the guys who worked one hour get the same thing as the guys who worked the whole day, I can assure you no union meeting has ever opened with a reading of this text. Uh, because that's not the way unions work, right? Un it's based on seniority, it's based on time of service, but what happens is this, this story throws all of that on its head. And the landowner starts giving wages. Once again, the point that he's making is that the last are going to be first and the first last. He lines up, tells the steward, I want you to start paying everybody, but start with the guys who only worked one hour. And he gives them the exact same amount. And this is the part where the guys who were there all day, they weren't upset that these guys that worked an hour got a denarius. They were upset when it became their turn. They're like, these guys got a denarius for one hour of work. And what does that mean for us? We work 12 hours. We're going to get 12 days pay for this one day. And they get there and they're like, here's your coin. Have a nice day. And they're like, what? And that's when they start freaking out. Like, there's no way that's fair. And they start going into all of this. And this now becomes the point and, and the issue that Jesus is bringing up. And that is that if I will trust the grace of God, that God is going to do right by me, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to work out a lot better than seeking to demand what I think God owes me based on what I've earned. And this is true not just in our gifts and in our purpose. This goes back, if we even talk about 
the fact that we're saved, that God has forgiven us and changed us and given us hope in, in heaven eternally. Nobody earns it. Nobody earns it. it. Nobody earns heaven. Nobody earns God's favor through your work. In fact, the apostle Paul would say in the book of Ephesians, you'll see it on the screen. He says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If the thought ended there, we might think, man, that's the key. Just be lazy because you don't have to do anything. And that is kind of like the way to be blessed. Just don't do anything. But there's another sentence and I'm so glad it's there because it's not just that God has saved us, but that he saved us for a reason. And in fact, he says this in, um, in, in verse 10, you'll see it. He says, for we are his workmanship, and you want to circle that word, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that word workmanship is the Greek word poema, P-O-I-M-A, and it is where we get the English word poem. And it's translated workmanship. It's also translated work of art. You are a work of art. Your spouse is a work of art. Now, you might say, I don't know about a work of art. My husband's a piece of work. And maybe you're right, but uh, you're a work of art. In fact, another translation says this. It says, you are God's masterpiece. Now think about this. The, the Bible gives us this picture several times, and that is of God being a potter and us being the clay, that God is molding and shaping us into a work of art that reflects who he is. And here's why this is important, is that when we think about purpose, purpose always begins with God. Because God, uh, we were created by God and we were created for God. And, and this is why a lot of times people struggle as they try to figure out why they're here. It is because they're, they're trying to figure out, like I just, I'm trying to figure out how to get what I want. That's not the way to go about it. If you're a Christian, your job is to figure out how God has uniquely gifted you. That's really the key to, you draw close to God and then seek to discern the gifts that God has given you and you want to employ those gifts for the glory of God. That's how purpose is discovered and it doesn't matter what those gifts are. Whatever those gifts are, when you put them into, play, into practice, you put them in motion, God starts doing something and the result is purpose, meaning, and unspeakable joy in your life. Now, I'll give you an example is that one Sunday night, I made this mistake. So I limit myself to, I drink four shots of espresso a day. I drink two in the morning and I drink two in the afternoon. And that's just how I keep my peppy chipper self going uh, throughout the day. All right. And so, but the, but it's probably about, it was on a Sunday about two years ago. I, I miscalculated and I didn't have four. I had six. And let me tell you something that at about six shots of espresso, you start seeing visions. Uh, and so, and it was, and, and, and the problem is, is that it was basically, we're getting to like the middle of the night and I, I can't go to sleep. So I am, uh, it's midnight. I'm still awake. Uh, I take, my wife gives me some melatonin to go to sleep. That doesn't do anything. And then at about almost two in the morning, I, I have to break out the big guns. And so I take some Benadryl to fall asleep. And, uh, and now, if you're Cuban, you've been giving this stuff to your kids since they were born. And so, but I figure, well, I just may as well take some myself. I've been giving it to the kids for years. And so anyway, so, but, so, but there's a price to be paid when you take that. Because, I mean, you wake up and you're just dragging. So I, I, that was now, we're going into Monday. So Monday, I make it, I, I, I am determined to get a good night's sleep. So I take, some, I, I take some melatonin. I fall asleep probably about 1130 and uh, I wake up at 1.30 in the morning, and uh, my wife is standing over me. 
in bed, which by the way, you know, this is just weird. And, uh, and so, and I, and I, when I wake up and, and my wife says, I woke up and I did a sweep of the house. And it, just so you know, that's something my wife does. It's something that I, I talk to moms and they're like, oh yeah, I do that. I don't know one guy that's ever done that. Uh, like when I go to sleep, like it's over. So, but anyway, so, but moms, they wake up and they like do a sweep of the house. Like they're part of the military police. And, uh, and then, then they go, then they're able to go back to sleep. And so she says, I did a sweep of the house. There's two mice in Xander's room. Now I'm awake. And I'm like, all right, let's go. So I, I, I wake up, I get over to, the, to Xander's room. Now Xander, all the kids had slept in the family room that night because we were up late watching Doctor Who. We love Doctor Who in our house. And so we, um, we were up late watching Doctor Who. And so the kids, um, so Xander's in the family room, he's not in his room. So I walk into the room, um, or it's the younger two, Mia was in her room, but I walk into Xander's room and the, Xander in his, our old house, he had this windowsill that had like a little arch and this, this little window. And so uh, she says, look, the mice are on top of the windowsill. And I'm like, okay, Kara, those, those mice are outside. It's still a problem, but they're outside. But it's not like a 1.30 a.m. problem. It's a when I'm awake problem that will, you know, wish them away or whatever. But um, she's like, no, they're inside. And I'm like, they're outside. She's like, they're inside. So I get a step stool from Livy's room because Livy's not in her room. And so I get a step stool. I grab Xander's uh, guitar stand and I just bang on the window and the, the mice just run away into the night because they're outside. And then Carrie's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry I woke you up. And I know you've been having such a terrible time falling asleep. And I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I'm here. And we're having like this really nice moment at two tired people at 1.30 in the morning. Just like, I love you. You love me. It was like Barney. You know, we're a happy family with, the, you know. So anyway. Um, so <laughs> and so anyway, so we're having this moment when all of a sudden my 13-year-old daughter Mia comes busting through the door with a, the light of her phone on, in one hand and a fire extinguisher in the other. And, she, and I'm like, what is going on here? And, uh, and, and she's like ready to start cracking skulls to whoever is in her brother's room. And she says, I heard something, so I came out to investigate. But don't worry, I've got everything recorded on my phone. And I'm like, what was your plan? You're going to beat the intruders with a fire extinguisher and then offer the recording to the police? Am I on an episode of Law and & Order? And, uh, and she's like, well, yeah, that was basically my strategy. <laughs> that was a decent plan. And, uh, and, and listen, the thing that I just, I just love, it's like, I don't know how you plan to, to, to deal with these people, and, and, but there is just something about whatever's available. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do with whatever's available. And that is, I truly believe, the key to walking in the purpose that God has for you. Not waiting for the special gift, not waiting for somebody else's gift. And listen, let me tell you what happens in church. In church, we, we, we tend to elevate certain gifts. And that is, hey, if you can speak, if you can play an instrument, then there's certainly gifts that we would say, well, yeah, of course they'll be involved. And of course they'll have, you know, uh, they'll be involved with people and all that stuff in ministry. But there's these other gifts that maybe aren't seen quite as much. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are parts of the body that maybe aren't seen, but are vital for health and growth and development. And this is really the key that, that we have to get at is that, listen, that God saved you, but he saved you for a purpose. God created you for a purpose. And our job is never to create the purpose. Our job is to discover that purpose and then live out 
the purpose. And that's where you're going to find the most joy and impact in your life. Now, Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 17. He says, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and will mock and scourge and crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those to whom it's prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise great authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And if you pause there and give me your attention, we talk about purpose. We said the first thing was I have to understand God's generosity and that he wants to give me gifts and talents and abilities that lead me to purpose. The second thing is, is that I need to trust God's plan. And that is where God wants to put me. Now, there's a couple things that you need to know that really help us understand what's happening here, because what's being spoken is very, very Jewish. Um, so the first is this. What does it mean when uh, Zebedee, Zebedee is the dad, Zebedee, uh, his wife, Mrs. Zebedee, um, where she says, uh, she brings her two sons, which if you're not aware are James and John. She brings James and John and says, I want my boys to sit at, my, at your right hand and at your left hand. Now, what does that mean? Remember, and this is, I've, been, I've been telling you this for the last few weeks, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's gonna turn out to be the last Passover because right after, he'll be betrayed, arrested, crucified. Now, which is what he mentions just before. However, um, so he stops them right before they're, as they're going and he tells them this, that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified, and three days later, he's going to be resurrected. And so the right hand and the left hand were places of authority at the Passover meal. So what, you know, what, what James and John's mom is saying is, uh, Jesus, when you come into the kingdom, um, I want my, one of my sons to be vice president, and I want the other to be speaker of the house, because I want them to have that, that level of, of authority. And interestingly... At the Last Supper, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, uh, John does end up sitting at the right hand. And that was, that was considered the, the place of trust, uh, the place of a trusted friend. It's where we get our, our, our phrase right-hand man from. And um, who ends up sitting on the left at the place of honor? Well, that was Judas Iscariot, and I'll explain why in a few weeks when we get there. But the second question that gets asked is, Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. And they say yes, not having any idea what they're getting themselves into. And this is every Jewish wedding 
uh, there was, there's two cups that the, the bride and groom drink. One is called the cup of joy, and they both drink the cup, and it serves as a reminder that when life's joys are shared, they're doubled. The second is what's called the cup of sacrifice, and it was, it's to remind the couple that when life's difficulties are met together, the difficulties are cut in half. So when Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Like, well, which cup are we referring to? Well, that's why he told them just before that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified, and then he will uh, ultimately be resurrected. But these guys, they just, they look at it and they think, oh yeah, we'll drink it, no problem. And they're just thinking that uh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to put us in charge, right? Because that's really the key. We'll drink whatever we got to drink and and do whatever, but we just want to be in charge. And they think that greatness comes by ruling. And that's just not where greatness comes from. Greatness is about adding value to other people. And here's how you know that to be true without me even telling you is because the best moments of your life have not been the moments where someone is serving you. They have been the moments where you have been serving someone else. And that's always uh, the the case. And I'll I'll tell you one of the moments um, for me was uh, a few years ago, my wife threw out her back and um, I was cooking for the whole week. And so uh, now... I don't know why. Typically, I grill meat. That's what I do. My, my, listen, the meat that I grill is worthy of its own Instagram account. That's what the level of quality that we're working with. So, but um, I tell the kids, we have this little menu, this chalk menu board, and I said, guys, just write down whatever you want, and I'll make it. And I don't know why I said that, but, I, and I think it's because we had been watching this cooking show as a family, and so I was like, you know what? I've been watching this show. I'm basically an expert. And so just write down whatever you want, and I'll make it. And, uh, and I did. It wasn't as good. You know, if you don't have a British man yelling at you when you're in the kitchen, it just doesn't feel the same. So anyway, um, so, but they said they wanted spaghetti. So I'm like, okay, no problem. So I watch a YouTube video about how to boil pasta. And I wish that was a joke, by the way. That's, I'm just explaining what happened. So this is the story. I watched this video about boiling water. And so I boiled it. I threw the pasta in. I heated the sauce. I tested the pasta, because that's one of the things, the, vid- the second video I watched said, you gotta test it. And then when it was good to go, I poured it all out into a colander, and then um, my wife was able to get up and uh, get some pasta, and she went to scoop the pasta, and when she scooped it up, 90% of the pasta came up with it. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, purchased a mop. You know how there's a part of the mop that's like totally rigid, and then there's the other part of the mop that's just like open? That's exactly what it looked like. And, uh, and, and then, it, and I didn't know what to do. My, my family was all laughing at me. And if you're like, I wonder why Pastor Bob has low self-esteem, but this would be the reason. And uh, so they're like, what is this? And so I get, so I come over and I grab a pair of scissors and I just cut straight across. And I'm like, there it is, the, eat your pasta. And so, and, and I just ate the clumpy part myself and I just ate it, you know, in slices because it was like that. So anyway, but that was the problem solved. The other thing is my son wanted... <laughs> My son wanted to eat mac and cheese. So I told him I'd make a mac and cheese separate. And, uh, and, and what ended up happening is, is that now I had boiled the little elbows, all's going well. And then what I had seen in the video is that you open the pack and then you just sprinkle the little cheese bag, right? You get everybody's following here because everybody has made mac and cheese or at least seen it. So I sprinkle the thing and then you just mix it, right? That's how it works. The problem is, and I'm, I'm guessing it was just a defective box because it certainly couldn't have been me. So what happens is, is that I sprinkle and it all comes out in clumps. 
like I've got like these little cheese balls that come out and then I'm taking a fork and I'm trying to crush them and they are just, I mean, with the density of a diamond, they just will not break down. So I don't know what to do. So I just mix them with the balls in there and then, and I'm just, and now I got to explain it to my son. So I just, I try to spin it as positive and I'm like, hey, Zan, you want to know what's better than mac and cheese? And he said, what? And I said, bonus mac and cheese. And, uh, and he's like, what's bonus mac and cheese? Bonus mac and cheese, you're just eating mac and cheese. I'm like, oh, that's fine, that's good. But then you get, every once in a while, you get one of these cheese balls. And it's like an explosion of flavor because it's like this, this, this like bomb of cheese. And uh, because every one of these cheese balls like the size of a peanut M&M uh, in there. And, uh, and so, and, and he, was, he was like, hey, this is not bad. And I'm like, yeah, just eat it all, kid, because nobody wants any. And uh, which he did. So now let's fast forward two days later. I, had to, I made grilled cheese for lunch. That's one of these kid asked for, which I do pretty well. So I created an assembly line. I had uh, the bread for buttering, adding the cheese, and then grilling of the grilled cheese. And I'm, I've literally got this going. I tell the kids to come up. And so Mia gets hers, and, uh, and she's like, Dad, uh, there's a problem with my grilled cheese. And I'm like, Mia, please. I don't even want to hear it. Be grateful and drive through. And, uh, and so... And she's like, Dad, but I, I really have a problem with this grilled cheese. I'm like, I know. It's not like your mom's super grilled cheese because she does something with the cheese that makes it perfectly even throughout. It's what it is. And she's like, Dad, I'm serious. Could you at least look at it? And so, um, and, and, and I look, and I mean, it is grilled to perfection. And, and I'm like, Mia, what's wrong with this? And so I took a picture. And I'm like, what, what's wrong with this grilled cheese? And if you haven't caught it, just, just give it a second. And it really should just be called grilled. And, uh, and so there, I just forgot. I forgot one ingredient. Big deal. And so anyway, so I see that and I'm like, uh, okay. Um, why don't you just go ahead and leave this here. We'll call your number when we're ready. All right. And so she goes... And, and, uh, and so, and then, you know, everyone in my family laughed me to scorn. Uh, but I'll tell you what happened. That night, my wife really, her back was really bothering her. So she's, she's laying in bed. She can't get out of bed to come to dinner. And so we decide, and like, and, and so she's going to end up eating dinner by herself in our bedroom. And, and I tell the kids, I'm like, we're going to do something totally different. We grabbed our entire dining room and we moved it into the bedroom so that all of us could eat dinner together. In fact, my wife took a picture of it. And uh, that's the picture of all of us eating dinner together in, uh, in, in, in the bedroom. And, uh, and listen, and I want to tell you something. This, and, and, and my wife will tell you that she absolutely loves this. And this is like one of my favorite moments ever. And it was, and, it, and once again, it's a moment and it brought me unspeakable joy in our family. All because, and, and here's what it is. We were just serving somebody else. And this is the thing that I'm sharing with you. And, and if you haven't figured this out, let me just be the first one to tell you that focusing on yourself just isn't the recipe for being happy. And, and you just watch this. Look, at, look around. Every, every one of us knows somebody who's completely self-involved. Find out if they're happy. And I can tell you this, they aren't. Because um, selfishness brings misery. And that's just the reality. It does not bring life. And uh, so let me, let me tell you this quickly, just to kind of make sure you really get everything you can, uh, the story in all its depth. The disciples are going towards Jerusalem, and they have to pass the city of Jericho. 
Now, Jericho, of course, is where the walls fell when the children of Israel went in. But Jericho was also the place where Herod the Great, uh, who was king around the time that Jesus was born, uh, that he had his winter palace. It was this magnificent structure, had indoor pools and gardens, and it was a marvel of the ancient world. And, um, but it's also where a lot of Herod's treachery took place. Um, the most famous was when Herod invited the high priest, whose name was Aristobulus, to a swim at the palace. And when he got there, Herod had the high priest killed because the high priest was a little too popular for Herod's liking. And it's with this backdrop that Jesus wants to teach his disciples what greatness really is. Because in that day, I mean, you really, for two, you were great for one of two reasons. You were either great because you were a warrior or you were great because you were a builder. Alexander um, conquered the known world and Alexander the Great became known as Alexander the Great because he had conquered the known world by the time he was 30 years old. Herod was four, four and a half feet tall. He wasn't gonna be a warrior. So he decided to be a builder and he was an incredible builder. But greatness... The path to greatness falls into, and we, we have this choice as to how we think we're going to pursue it. We're going to pursue it where in service, or we think someone's going to serve us. And we've got to choose which way we want to go. And Jesus understood that the serve us life does not lead to purpose, it doesn't lead to wholeness, and it doesn't lead to joy. It leads to frustration and emptiness. And this is why Jesus calls us to model the identity that he laid out for us. God taking on human form in the person of Jesus to die for us and also show us what the best possible way to live looks like. And then he does one last thing before he gets to Jerusalem, and I don't want to miss this one last part. Look what he says in verse 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, and they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. And if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing about purpose, and that is that I need to embrace God's vision. Now, a little bit of background, real quick, and that is that blindness was very common in the ancient world for many reasons. Some were born blind, others got infections that led to blindness, others were wounded, that is, either by in accidents or in battle, and that caused blindness to happen. Now, the reason why it, it's not surprising that there would be uh, people who were blind in the city of Jericho is because in the ancient world, it was believed that there was a plant that grew in Jericho that could create a balm that could cure blindness. Now, whether it could cure some of the infections, we really don't know, but there was a belief that it could. And so it was not uncommon to see a lot of blind people living in Jericho and begging at the gate of the city because they couldn't work. Now, both uh, Matthew is the account that we're reading. Both Mark and Luke record this story, and, but, and they name one of the blind men. And so we'd hear, we read that there's two guys, but uh, one of them is named uh, Bartimaeus, and you'll see it in the notes in uh, Mark chapter 10. They came to Jericho, Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, uh, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And I love what Jesus does. He asks them the question. He stops. They're crying out to him, and they, and, and, or literally, um, the Greek word is krazo, which means they were screaming. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? 
And this isn't Jesus being coy, by the way. This is Jesus asking them to be specific. And, they, and their answer is, Lord, uh, that our eyes may be open. And there's something powerful here about praying with specificity. That is really asking God specifically what we want him to do. Sometimes, if we're honest, we pray the most vague prayers, and then we wonder if it's working or not. And sometimes our prayers are so vague, it's impossible to know. We'll say, like, like, we'll say, Lord, bless us all. Okay, what does that even mean? And how do we know if it happened? Uh, and, and so, and, and the key is, listen, if you want to be blown away, can I just encourage you to do this? Pray specific prayers, and then do this, write them down. And just kind of go back, you know, maybe every few days, go back and see what's happening. And you keep praying through that list. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. When you pray specifically, God answers specifically. And I'll tell you, and sometimes we think, well, yeah, that's just for the big things. I'm telling you, God does it for everything, not just the big things. And my son and I, we went to a concert a couple of weeks ago to see one of my favorite bands. And, and I have this prayer that I pray all the time. And uh, I, it just says this, just says, Lord, surprise us. And, and what that, that prayer is basically this prayer for God to just show us that he loves us in some special way. A lot of the stories that I tell you, like all these crazy things that happen to me are usually what happen after I say, Lord, surprise us. And then something wild happens. And so anyway, so this concert had been totally sold out for weeks and there was no way to get tickets. And then someone from Calvary got me the tickets for my birthday. They found out it was my birthday. They got me the tickets. Totally amazing. And um, so we get to the show. I run into a friend that I haven't seen in years. That is already awesome. I'm like, man, Lord, thank you. I haven't seen this guy in forever. And so anyway, and I introduce him to my son, and it's a cool thing. And so then we're sitting at the show. And we're at the very end. And you know what happens when you're at the end of a row? You see it happen here. Somebody has to get up. Then you got to get up and move. And, and so there's all that. And so about halfway through the show, there was this couple that were sitting next to us. And they lean over to me and they say, hey, we're really sorry that we've been in and out the whole time. And I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. That's just what happens when you're sitting on the end. So don't worry about it. And they said, you know, we work with the band and we thought that maybe your son would like this custom guitar pick that the band makes. And now, um, just so they had no idea my son played guitar and they had no idea my son loves this band, is, you know, uh, like, like I do. Now, just, I'll just tell you, a guitar pick costs 25 cents, all right? Um, this band, they make guitar picks. Every show is different. And so if you get one, great. And if not, it, it's gone. Um, th I looked uh, right after the show. That guitar pick sells for 75 bucks on eBay, and, uh, at which I was like, Zan, hey, there's an opportunity here. And, uh, and, <laughs> but and, here's, and here's the point. And I'm telling you, and I know we pray for the big stuff, but I'm just telling you, if we will pray for the little stuff too, we will see God surprise us. Now, it's important for me to say this, uh, because some, let me give you the flip side of that, is that sometimes we pray for something and God loves us too much to answer in the way that we prayed. Uh, and that's why I love this passage in, in, um, in Romans chapter six, where it says this, in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness, but we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And then I'll give, me, I'll give you the next one in verse 27. It says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. Now, this is what I like to call the prayer remix because God is, the Spirit is interceding uh, to the Father on behalf of us. And it says that for, so that we can pray in accordance to the will of God. 
Because God promises that he's going to answer when we pray according to his will. But sometimes we don't pray according to God's will. So the spirit intercedes and basically remixes the prayer to be something that is towards God's will. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like God is changing the prayer midstream. And so, you know, you'd be praying like, God, I need some money big time. And, and the spirit modifies that. Father, he says he wants a job. Maybe even two. Like, no, that's not what I said. And, uh, and so, no, and then just, oh, Lord, I want to marry her. And, and, and then the spirit reinterprets. No, he doesn't. He doesn't want to marry her. He, in fact, he wants her to move far away from him. Uh, and, and so, and I'm telling you, that's, that, that, that's what happens. And, and when I was in high school, I was dating this girl, and she dumped me. And I don't even know how. I mean, just really, you can't, you're going to live without this? And, uh, and so... And so what happens is, is that, and I remember I wasn't even a Christian and I was like praying that I could get her back and I didn't. And then it was probably about a year later that I met my wife and, um, and we're, uh, we were, I guess about two years after that, we were in Tallahassee walking through the mall. I run into this girl that I had dated in high school and I'm with my wife and we had been dating for about two years at the time and I'm with my wife and I see her and I was like, wow, time has not been kind to you. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and listen, I was thanking God. I'm like, Lord, thank you for not answering that prayer because wow, ah, uh, that would have been a situation. And so, so <laughs> it's so funny and also true. And <laughs> now listen, because listen, you know, God wants to answer. But he wants to answer when we pray according to God's will. Because listen, here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is that it wouldn't be very loving of our heavenly father if he gave us something less than what we need because we weren't wise enough to ask for what was best. Think about that for a moment. It wouldn't be very loving of our heavenly father if he gave us something less than what we need because we weren't wise enough to ask for what was best. Listen, God's not holding out on you. Instead, he's looking out for you. He's drawing us closer. These men, here's what they prayed for. They prayed for vision. Lord, that we might receive our sight. And you know what the first thing they saw? They saw Jesus. And there's something to that. When you pray for God's vision, for God's purpose, for God's leading in your life, you're gonna see Jesus and he's gonna lead you and direct you. Because listen, everything that God creates, everything in creation that God has created, he has created with purpose. And you are no exception. And your primary purpose is to know God. And everything else in life flows from that relationship. And that's why if we're looking for purpose apart from God, we're asking for life to be very difficult. And that's why when you embrace the one who created you, you give him your life. And what he gives us in return is more life than we could have possibly imagined, more meaning than we could have possibly imagined, and more joy than we could have ever come up with on our own. And so it's up to us. It's up to us. We've got to decide to follow him and then lay our plans down at his feet and say, God, here's my mess. Can you do something with it? And then he takes the mess and turns it into a message. Because once you've figured out who created you and that you were created to know God and experience his love, Listen, life gets a whole lot easier. Life gets clearer. 
You don't have to figure everything out on your own because God starts walking with you. He starts leading and directing and bringing people into your life to encourage you and the right person at the right moment to open that door that you need in your life. But listen, because the last thing that you want is to get to the end of your life and discover that you wasted it. I just think that's just a tragedy. Instead, I, I, I want to get to the end of my life and realize that I squeezed all the juice that I could have and that it mattered. And then to be able to step into an eternity with the God who loved me, connected to the one who I matter most to. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, for that promise that you haven't left us alone to figure it out. Instead, you love us. And that purpose begins at knowing you and begins at doing what you've called us to and discovering who we are, who you created when you created us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that incredible work and that it would begin now and we'd leave this place different than how we came in. Lord, I pray, surprise us. Do something great. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.